Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. It has been a breathtaking journey, an inspiration, and a bright light shining in a dark place. In today's program, we're going to do a summary and review of this masterful, messianic, prophetic book called Zechariah. Our series is entitled, The Coming King, Understanding the Book of Zechariah, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. This is the final lesson of the book of Zechariah. It has been an amazing journey, absolutely, utterly amazing. Forty lessons altogether, which basically means it goes for over 13 hours, if you were to listen to it. Zechariah is the book that tells us about the coming king. His first coming, riding on the donkey. The second coming, riding on the white horse. And when he comes the second time, he's not coming and going. He's coming to stay. He's coming to reign. He's coming to bless, but he's also going to rule with a rod of iron. No more hanky-panky, no more corruption, no more scandal, no more genocide, human rights abuses, dictatorships, or shall we say malevolent dictatorships. No, the Lord will be an absolute monarch, but he will rule in righteousness, and all he does is holy, right, and good, and all he does is for our benefit. If it were a mere mortal, a normal man or woman, then we'd be subject to all their flaws and limitations and emotions and passions. But with the Lord, you can put all your trust in Him. He will not let you down. We are having what is called a summary and review of this great book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah was written between 520 and 470 BC. In other words, it's 2,500 years old in round terms. It is a remarkable prophecy involving the coming of Christ, first time and second time. In addition, it provides a snapshot of his millennial kingdom. One of the things we learned is that in this kingdom, it will be in Jerusalem. There'll be topographical changes. People will come and worship God from all over the earth and keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Zechariah, as a young prophet, worked alongside an older prophet called Haggai, who also has a prophetic book that bears his name. Both these men rallied the people of Judah to rebuild the temple, the Temple of Solomon, which had been destroyed by the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar in the year 586 BC. Seventy years later, Haggai the elder and Zechariah the younger are getting Judah to rebuild the temple. And this is, of course, what happened. It was probably more modest than the temple that Solomon built. For some, it would have been a disappointment because it didn't seem to have the same glory, the same style, the same class as what Solomon had wrought. But still, it was God's temple and God's presence could be found there. 
after the rebuilding of the temple, it's followed by eight night visions, possibly all on the same night, from chapter 1, verse 7, to chapter 6, verse 8, eight night visions. And these visions were followed up by two messages in chapters 7 and 8 of the book of Zechariah. Then from chapters 9 to 14, it's almost as if there's this hiatus of time. Zechariah is writing his visions when he's younger, but then in chapters 9 to 14, he's prophesying as a more mature man. There are two oracles here in chapters 9 through 14. One is of God's intervention into human history, a proclamation of salvation, and yet, ironically, after proclaiming salvation, is the tragic rejection of Messiah. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall scatter. After Israel repents and mourns for Messiah, then comes the battle for Jerusalem. Once Messiah comes and saves the city, he will be worshipped by the pilgrims from among the nations. I'd like to read to you now from the two key verses that I shared with you at the very beginning of this teaching series. Two key verses that summarize the book of Zechariah. The first verse is Zechariah chapter 8, 3. That's Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 3. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's Zechariah 9, 9 and Zechariah 8, 3. Remember that in Zechariah 8, 3, God is speaking and saying, I am coming to Zion. He is personally coming, visibly coming, bodily coming, and he will dwell in Jerusalem. Did you understand that God is going to, shall we say, go from heaven and dwell in Jerusalem? And when he dwells in Jerusalem, it'll be the city of truth, and the Lord's mountain will be the holy mountain. Now, I know this doesn't jive or, shall we say, fit into the idea that somehow the righteous go to heaven and stay in heaven above the clouds. But the truth is, the Bible teaches that eternity will be lived not up in heaven, but here on earth. Maybe the earth will be greatly altered topographically to make that possible, but the new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven to earth. God will dwell in the new Jerusalem. We will dwell in the new Jerusalem with God. So yes, he says, I am returned unto Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Now, of course, this is, when you think about it, phenomenal because God is beyond space and time. He fills heaven and earth. Yet that God would come and dwell among his people is, is how can you say, how can, how can we even fathom it? Well, of course, it is gloriously possible for God to come and dwell among his people for the simple reason that God put on flesh, and dwelt among us. This is, of course, the incarnation of Jesus. And by putting on flesh and dwelling among us, he became like us. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is the Son of the Most High. He is the Son of David. He is fully God, and he is fully man 
in one person. Now, we would never be advocating such a seemingly ludicrous notion, except for the fact of all the proven prophecies that have come to pass pointing in this direction, as well as the eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. They saw that he was fully dead, buried three days and three nights in a cold Jerusalem tomb that had never been used before. On the third day, he's gone. He had risen from the dead. And people, the apostles and the early church, staked their reputations and their lives on the veracity of the resurrection. It's by the resurrection that Jesus Christ was proven, declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of Holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So basically, Zechariah is telling us, Emmanuel, God with us. God's coming down to dwell with us, and we are going to dwell with him. Zechariah 9.9 is a wonderful prophecy fulfilled at the triumphal entry to Jerusalem of the Lord Jesus. First time he came into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, the second time he's coming on the white horse. And Zion is told to rejoice and to shout because the king is coming. Well, praise God, he's coming, and he's coming bringing salvation with him. Praise God. Well, let's have a little review of the book of Zechariah to wind up this study. Let's divide Zechariah into two parts, chapters 1 to 8, about the rebuilding of the temple. And we have the introduction, and then we have the eight night visions. Remember the vision. The first was the horsemen among the myrtle trees. And then the second were four horns and four smiths, or craftsmen. The third vision was the man and the measuring line for Jerusalem. The fourth vision was Joshua the high priest, who was cleansed from before the Lord. The fifth vision is the golden candlestick and the two olive trees. The sixth vision is the flying scroll. The seventh vision is the woman and the basket, or ephod. And the eighth vision is the four chariots. All right, all this probably happened in one night. After this, Joshua is coronated as the high priest. And following the coronation of Joshua comes four messages. The first message is about fasting, obedience, and justice. The second message is about disobedience and judgment. The third message, repentance and blessing of God's people. And then there is the fourth message, fast that led to restoration and feasts. I'm telling you, A feast after a fast is truly a great celebration. However, if it's been a long fast, be careful what you feast on, because it might react. All right, so that's the first part of Zechariah. The introduction, eight-night visions, Joshua is crowned as high priest, and four prophetic messages. Then we have the second part of Zechariah, chapters 9 to 14. By then, Zechariah is an older man, and there are two burdens. The first burden is the burden of the Lord, where God intervenes. The king is coming. The coming king is also the savior, and he promises salvation. Now, of course, after this comes the rejection of Messiah. It's tragic, but at least, let's put it this way, God knew it all ahead of time. It was actually, according to the script, what we saw unveiled in the New Testament, or what was preceded, the the actual fulfillment of these prophecies of Zechariah, 
when Jesus was rejected. Rejected to the point, listen to this, he's fulfilling Zechariah 9.9 on Palm Sunday when he comes down the Mount of Olives on the foal of a donkey and enters into the city of Jerusalem. Literally, the people are ecstatic. The king has come. This is our Messiah. Hosanna to the son of David, which is calling him the king of Israel, son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Literally, within days of this rapturous reception, Jesus is being crucified at Golgotha. They say that a week is a long time in politics. Do you understand what that means? The same crowd that is fawning and clapping and cheering can turn against you wildly within days. And that appears to be what happened. may not have been the same exact individuals involved from the processional way, the Palm Sunday reception of Jesus to his crucifixion. I can't tell you that, but in a sense, it is Jerusalem, the two faces of Jerusalem. The one face of Jerusalem welcoming the king on Palm Sunday, the other face of Jerusalem, the other side of the mouth, is cursing, rejecting, and murdering this king so that Yes, it's the rejection prophesied in Zechariah. It's an interesting, when Jesus died, they had to put the crime for which he's being executed above his cross. And they couldn't think of any crime he had committed because, of course, he's a sinless one. So basically, they put Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That was his crime. He happened to be the son of David. That was a crime. You know, in an evil world, they call good evil, and they call evil good. We're seeing this even now, where some wonderful, precious things are being treated as evil. But that's, of course, the perversity of our end-time world. It will all change. It will all be righted. God will do it. But we at least need to be aware of the lay of the land. So the Messiah is rejected. The second burden is in chapters 12 to 14. Israel will mourn once their eyes are open to seeing the one whom they have pierced. They will repent. They will be converted. And when this happens, friends, it will be nothing short than life from the dead. Then, of course, Messiah will come. Messiah will be crowned king of all the earth. Let's review just the last part, chapters 12 to 14, in a little more detail. What we see in chapters 12 to 14 is this. Jerusalem will be the center of world attention world controversy, and world conflict. And it will be called for the neighbors a cup of trembling. Those that go to war against Jude and Jerusalem will drink of the cup and will become senseless. But it doesn't stop there because Jerusalem, God will make it as a burdensome stone for all people. Whoever try to heave it will be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth be gathered together against it. Then, of course, Israel's eyes are open to Messiah, and then after that, it's a time to mourn for the one whom they have pierced. Everyone will go off with their families, their wives, to their separate corners to mourn for the only son that they should have known, they should have recognized, they should have received, but they did not. But then there's a fountain of cleansing opened in Jerusalem. There will be deep cleansing, and there will be healing and blessing, and all the rest. Then, following that, in chapter 13 of Zechariah, smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. It's rather ironic. You have the deep cleansing, and then smiting the shepherd. But, as I've shared, 
Sometimes in prophetic passages, it doesn't always go chronologically. When the fountain happens, there'll be cleansing of the idols. They'll be taken away. The false prophets taken away, or they will repent, or they'll be shamed. The shepherd will be smitten. And then after that will be the battle for Jerusalem, chapter 14. The Lord will gather the nations. Then the Lord will come down and fight against those nations. He will defeat them. He will establish his kingdom. There will be great topographical changes in the earth, starting with the Mount of Olives, and then Jerusalem will become a plateau and and other things as well. Not all the topographical changes are described in Zechariah. They can be described elsewhere, like in Ezekiel. But when that happens, God will live among us on earth. He will live and reign from Zion, and the nations will come year after year to worship the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, at the Feast of Tabernacles, even the horses and the common pots, everything in the holy city will also become holy. There will be no distinction anymore between the posh and the common. All will be used for God's glory, because ultimately the end result is worship of the Lord. Friends, this is the end of our series of Zechariah, and I'm so delighted you've been part of that journey. If you would like to get the entire audio MP3 series of Zechariah verse by verse with nearly 60 pages of printable PDF notes, details can be found at our homepage. And remember, there'll be more teaching of the Word of God verse by verse in the days ahead. So don't leave us. Stay tuned. But as always, we want to end in prayer. And I do invite you to go to our homepage or to our Facebook page so we can keep connected. Thank you for joining us for Zechariah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this masterful book of Zechariah. It has been a blessing to go through it verse by verse. And Lord, I thank you for all our faithful listeners that have been part of the journey. And God, I ask in Jesus' name that you will help us apply these lessons, help us to be prophetically alert, awake, and alive. And also to remember that as we walk in the light of prophecy, we're becoming future ready, and we can face tomorrow with confidence. For all this, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.